0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm Cleo. I'm James.
1: And
2: I'm Corinne.
0: And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Bioshock Infinite, developed by Irrational Games. Yeah. R.I.P.
2: Oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. They broke up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They're back now, though.
2: What? Kind of.
0: Ghost Story Games. It's like a dozen people from Irrational are still owned by 2K. The people, not the studio. And uh, are going to turn out more games, apparently. Neat. Anyway, Bioshock. So yeah, by the end of this, we'll, we'll see how much we all want that.
2: <laughs> uh, which leads me into my first question, um, which is, what did, what did everyone think of the game?
0: God, my experience playing it this time was so different from before.
2: I, maybe that's even better context. So, I mean, we're talking about Bioshock Infinite, the third Bioshock game, the second developed by this team. Right. Uh, who's the team that did the original Bioshock. And... So, I mean, so because and the thing that I was that you reminded me of. So you had played this before, Justin? Yeah. Yes. I had played this before, Karin. You had not, correct?
1: I have not only not played this before, but my only previous experience with Bioshock games was maybe thirty minutes of the first one, and then I I stopped. Hmm. So. How about you, Cleo? I had played this before, and I had also played the original.
2: Yeah, I guess. And for kind of, we we you'd play the original as well, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, played yeah, them same, all. Same. Yeah, I've played. I've played all three. I always feel like two, like. It's such a weird, different conversation.
0: But, yeah, I mean, to very quickly put out there what I, like, I feel like Bioshock 1 was the most, uh, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily aged well but narratively interesting. Bioshock 2 probably had the best gameplay, and Infinite is somewhere in a weird place for me.
2: I actually just replayed the first one. Uh, It holds up
0: surprisingly well. Yeah, I still haven't played it since launch, but I've been meaning to pick up the uh, collection. Yeah.
1: I also own all three games despite never having played them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get around to single player games eventually sometimes. No,
1: that's honestly that's a lie I tell myself. Yeah. And uh, more realistically I only play single like narrative based single player games when forced to by an outside force such as this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I originally played BioShock because the original BioShock because it was assigned for Jesper Yule's like intro to video games class and undergrad that's why I played the first first the first 30 minutes of the first one yeah because of because of games 101 that makes sense
0: yeah it was Bioshock was the first game that I bought for myself with money that I had earned myself it was like it came out right after my first paycheck for my first like job job when I was 16. Mm.
2: I remember lobbying my parents real hard <coughs> to uh, to like let me get Bioshock because I remember I had read like the Game Informer cover and all this stuff and I thought it just sounded like really cool and it sounded like it had like big ideas and all this stuff that like, I was really interested in um but it was like an m-rated game right and I was I would have been like yeah 15 16 and it was the kind of like you needed like a parent to like go into the like the GameStop where I would go because like they knew me there and they knew me well enough to know that I was not 18 and they were just like well we know this is like probably all right, but we also can't just sit here and be like, we didn't know he wasn't 18. It was like, I look, I look 12 now as a 26 year old. So it was just like, I mean, you can only imagine at the time. They're like, all right, so we can't like plead ignorance and whatever. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even like get away with that kind of shit. But so I remember lobbying my parents really hard to be like, look, I know it's an M rated game, but like, I don't know. I was not let down that time. <laughs>
0: So Bioshock Infinite though.
2: Yeah. Uh all
1: right, so I'll I'll talk about how I felt. Um I, I I think if you listen to this podcast enough, you know that I'm not one for like big narrative video games. And that was largely true of this experience. Uh I, I got through it. Um it was a little frustrating at times. I think there was way too much combat that was just same. It felt too samey from combat to combat, so that was that was okay. Dragged a little bit. Um, The story was it it was interesting, um, I guess. And ultimately, I don't think it really had. I don't think I was impressed with what it was trying to say. Ultimately, and uh, and but like I mean, there were a couple like interesting moments where I was like, oh, that's neat. Um, so I, I got through it. Um, I had a reasonably good time with the mechanics and, uh, was occasionally impressed by the story. And, uh, when I finished, I played a whole bunch of Minecraft because I really missed playing video games with my friends.
0: As, as is pretty much the case whenever you play something single player yeah. for an extended period of time. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I feel a lot of those things pretty much, um, the The story was enough to keep me interested, you know, for the length of the game. I like I never felt like putting it down because I was bored of the narrative. Um, but the yeah, the combat had a habit of being pretty samey, especially once you sort of like just the way that game almost necessitates being played. You're gonna sort of fall into your groove, and the combat gets even more samey because you're just using your pre- your preferred weapons and your preferred vigors and. Fuck it, if anything, is ever different then. And the one thing they had was, like, the interesting set pieces where you had big areas with, like, sky rails and, you know, enemies in different places and, like, interesting placement. And they did it maybe twice.
1: I will say that uh, once I got, like, sort of my, my loadout locked down, and that was more from, like, a gear and vigor perspective, uh, I was much more liberal about, like, about tossing a weapon aside when I ran out of ammo and needed something new or, like, you know, had a, a specific need for a different type of weapon. I You know, those were a little bit more interchangeable for me. But once I had my loadout, I, I did have fun. Like, it's not like the combats weren't, you know, weren't, weren't fun and occasionally, like, challenging. So I, I enjoyed that, at least. And I think the stupidly broken loadout that I eventually put together was very enjoyable.
2: I, I'll say... I think it's really interesting, Justin, that you talk about kind of feeling like you you fall back on like your one like favorite primary weapon. Um, And then you, Corinne, say that you had like a lot more fun kind of once you got your stuff figured out and you were a bit more flexible about what you were using. It's it's one of, I, I think, many kind of awkward sticking points for me in the game where those two things feel very at odd with one another. There's the fact that you are always getting new guns. There's the fact that there's like distinctions between like different styles of the same gun and all that kind of stuff and that it seems like the game wants you to be switching your weapons pretty often uh but then whenever you run out of ammo elizabeth will give you more which totally facilitates just picking one thing and using it forever yeah and it 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 strikes me as one of many kind of like weird decisions throughout like little bits of the game and these are even just like the small decisions but i really do kind of wish that they'd done a bit more to make you fall into that thing that Corinne, you were describing, is enjoying more and saying, like, look, you know, we understand that someone's going to want to just, like, pick up the machine gun and just use that forever. I don't know why the machine gun sucks. But, like, (laughs) you're going to pick something and, like, use it forever. Um, But we really kind of want you to be swapping stuff, so we're going to give you different things to try. I really wish that they'd, like, force you into some of those things.
0: Yeah, they, like, lightly encourage it without really making you have to fall back on it. Like, I it was incredibly rare that I would just use a weapon. And, and like, I was playing on 1999 mode when it's harder to find ammo and trying to go for the don't ever use a vending machine achievement. So like I never bought more ammo even once. And I still like, I think I ran out of ammo. Like I, once I had the carbine and the shotgun, I didn't use other guns. I think I ran out of ammo for the, like never both at the same time. Mm. And I maybe switched the carbine out like once or twice because I was out of ammo and Elizabeth had given me more semi-recently. Hmm. Other than that, it would be like the, when the game puts a barrel of sniper rifles in front of you and it's like, hey, guess what? You're probably going to use sniper rifles. So I would like pick one up and use it for a few minutes and then go back and pick up my carbine and get back into combat. Yeah.
1: I mean, I definitely, uh, once I got the hand cannon, I was like, like, that was like my one that I kept. But the my second one, I just swapped like willy nilly. Uh, and a lot of the times I was running with like the hand cannon and then like the rocket launcher, which are both very like limited ammo guns. So anytime I ran out, uh, I would just toss usually the rocket launcher aside, pick something else up and start using that. Um, I mean, God, even, even me playing just for my first time I was sitting there thinking about all the things that didn't make sense. Like, I also
0: think in, in like, our cases, playing the first time, there were also just, like, new game in, in dro- like, beloved franchise blinders on. Like, I really liked Bioshock 1, and Bioshock 2 is disappointing in some aspects, but also had the most satisfying gameplay of the three. So, like, when Bioshock Infinite came out, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more the first time through when i didn't give it as much thought as i would have if it were a new game in a new franchise if that makes sense i that's something that i want to get into during the spoiler break specifically your use of
2: the phrase beloved franchise um because that i think ends up being critical to uh the game as a whole um so i want to put a pin in that but I also want to jump back to uh, Justin, what you were talking about, like just in general, in this sense of like how the game is kind of better the first time you play it, and how a lot of that is because you don't know like the twists and turns that the story is going to take. And I agree with that one hundred percent. I was not big into this game when it when it first came out. Um, I the things that I it easier to get into in the in the spoiler section, um, and why I don't think it's unfair to be thinking about the original Bioshock uh, while playing this game. I, the very simple non-spoiler reason is I think it asks you to compare it to Bioshock. absolutely, And it asks you to make that comparison uh, constantly and almost incessantly, um, which I think is a really bad move on its part. Cause I don't think that it stands up to that comparison. I think that it, uh, it looks really poor in, it looks lacking in comparison to the original Bioshock. I think in almost every sense, uh, So I I think that it's worth pointing out that I because I don't think it's necessarily fair to judge something based on your expectations for it or to judge something based on expectations that you set up for it that it did not uh, set up for itself or ask for. Um, But I think this game asks to be compared to Bioshock and I don't think that it holds up in that comparison. And uh, frankly, I think that the game has a lot of uh, character and characterization issues. I think that the game has a lot of issues with some of the big ideas that it tries to deal with. I think it completely fails to deal with a lot of the big ideas that it brings up. It has a tendency to bring up an idea and then just throw it away. And I think that there are a couple situations where I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt in that and try to say that that was intentional or that was speaking to something in and of itself. And I don't think that that's actually true at the end of the game. And like Ed sitting down and thinking about... Like okay, like my gut reaction is negative, but is there a more positive reading I can give it if I sit down and think through and maybe understand what they were trying to do and separate uh, between what is here versus my reaction? And I, I don't think that it uh, that it does warrant a more positive reading or have a much more positive reading. Um, so I I have a, a lot of issues with this game, but the big things for me are that a a lot of the thing that makes it hurt the most is that in a lot of ways it's close and i think that one of those ways where it could kind of work is where so you've got that story that you're getting the first time through and there are a lot of parts where that story is not amazing but there are also parts where it does work and it is compelling and it has you wondering what's going on it has you thinking about your environment i agree that a lot of like you know artistically and stylistically there's a lot of good stuff going on here it. I really wish that they had focused down on a couple of the things that they have going on and done a better job at those things and made that the whole game, uh, as opposed to trying to touch on like a bunch of these other things. This is very hard. Pre spoiler break, but yeah. But I, I do completely agree that the first time through this, and I think that this kind of speaks a lot to a lot of the reaction that I saw when the remaster came out, where there were a, there was a lot of there were a lot of people pointing out some of the the failings of the game when the remaster came out and there were a lot of people who were responding to that by saying that they were surprised that there were all these criticisms of the game because they just remember like people being very positive about it and i think it's the kind of game that it there's a lot there on the surface and it just doesn't go to anything like it knows all the words but it doesn't have anything to say it it puts on this face this facade it kind of drapes itself in this sense that it has something more important to say going off of I think the cachet from Bioshock 1 and it just doesn't there's nothing there it's hollow it's shallow it doesn't follow through on any of that and that is so frustrating to me and I really would have preferred if it had just been a fun shooter with kind of interesting power mechanics in a flying city with a compelling but shallow sci-fi narrative that they had just doubled down on and pulled out all of the like other stuff where they feel like they're trying to do something better and they do it in a way that reads as they are doing something better. And it's just not there. I I want so much more from this game. And the first time I played it, I was disappointed. I didn't like it a lot. But it's so much worse the second time because the things that are pulling you through are questions and when you already have the answers there's nothing else there you can't like try and dig deeper into things they don't contextualize what's happening it's oh it's so frustrating to me it's not like the first bioshock where after you've played it and you've seen the twist you can replay it and that recontextualizes the entire game right nothing that happens later in this game recontextualizes the earlier parts of the game in any meaningful way In fact, they make them make even less sense because you realize that the storyline is wildly inconsistent. There are things that characters don't know at the beginning of the game that they are treating as things that they have known and have been fundamental to their person for their entire lifetime by the end, which makes no sense. There are whole stretches with characters where it's like, oh, now that I know what you're about, I go back and I see that this other thing that happened at the beginning, it was just weird bullshit to make the game seem cool and smart it's so frustrating it totally robs i think one of the more interesting characters in the game of a bunch of what he had to say during his segment oh it it's so frustrating to me how close this comes to being a fun smart just fine shooter and
0: uh it really really bothers me we should actually just call the spoiler break pretty soon but yeah, was, we're we're in the middle of a conversation where we're hamstringing ourselves by avoiding spoilers. So I think we yeah. should we should really just call it now. Yeah, I, I think before we
2: do it, I think that one of the other issues is I think that one of the the big ideas that they're trying to get through is something where it's uh, a little bit overwrought. But I think that even then, one of the biggest failings to it is even if you could make the argument that there is some merit to the thing that they're trying to discuss, the way that they have elected to depict that. Is extremely tone deaf. Um, doesn't make sense. You could get at some of those similar ideas in a different context that does not invite a million other like problems, and ultimately just makes it a self defeating argument. Um, but yeah, so I would say even even if you could make the argument that well, the basic thing that they're trying to say, if you boil it down to its most like archetypal, is potentially something that could you could that could stir an interesting discussion. At the end of the way, the, the world that they decided to use to make that argument just strikes me as poorly thought through. Uh, but yes, I uh, we should call this spoiler break because we should get into stuff. Because this is a very spoilery game. There's not a lot to talk about otherwise.
1: I remember the thing that I wanted to say earlier, by the way. Sick. Uh Way back in the day when we were talking about uh, weapons and game mechanics, I wanted to say, I think weapon switching would have been more encouraged if you actually had the income to buy... All the upgrades, as opposed to not having enough money to give yourself the powerfulest version of all the guns you wanted.
2: Yeah, the the upgrade system in this game, I think, is not very good. Um, it's just, it feels like they didn't balance it at all. It's the kind of thing where I want to sit down and say, okay, so what would the reason for that be? Is it supposed to be some kind of sense of it's forcing you to make choices? In a game that otherwise is about giving you this sense of making choices when in fact you don't have choices, so that ends up being kind of weird it th- there's a lot of things like it. it feels totally inconsistent it feels very strange. it makes me wonder if it's supposed to be some idea of capitalism or something like that it just it, or at the end I, of
1: the day it's like, this is a video game. we have to do this yeah okay
2: I agree it 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 is very strange it feels very much out of sync with a lot of the rest of the game, both like conceptually and just mechanically it's it is very bizarre um i think the original bioshock does a much better job of that where you've got separate currencies right i mean you've got this sense of you've got this sense of atom that you use to purchase and upgrade your uh your plasmids which are the original bioshock's version of vigors um and then you've got money that you use to buy like consumable items and then you've got power-to-the-people upgrade machines where there are enough to get all of the upgrades for all of the weapons, um, but you have to find them, and several of them are uh, missable. So it ends up—I feel like that ends up being a somewhat more interesting system. Um, Also, uh, you have the fact that um, in—a lot of the upgrades kind of unlock at weird times in this one as well. Yeah. You have long stretches of the game with, like, no new upgrades becoming unlocked. And, so and then you don't suddenly, a like, sense 17, 17 upgrade at one, or, uh, unlock at once. And yeah, then... exactly. Um, whereas the original, you still have a couple of those cliffs where stuff becomes available, but it's at least a slightly better, like, yep. progression. Bit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, that was a really, that's a really weird facet of the game. Yep. Uh, doubly so, because the original Bioshock uh, has fewer weapons, it has a weapon wheel. Um. So you just get the crossbow once, and you just got the crossbow for oh, the rest God. of the Oh, God,
1: yeah. Like, the first time I encountered a third weapon, I, like, came out into the living room and, and went up to Justin, and I was like, can you always only just hold two weapons? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, God, I just spent literally all my money upgrading the two that I had, and then I got a third one Yeah. that I feel like I would want for other occasions. And I was annoyed, very annoyed.
2: Yeah, as a general rule, I just prefer the other one in like, so that that's just me. So if you're someone who would rather do the the Halo style, like pick up, throw away, pick up, throw away kind of thing. Maybe this is, excuse me, better for you. But I completely agree, Grant. I, I really,
0: I it strikes me as a weird choice.
1: Yeah. We're in a video game. We've got hammer space. Just use it.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like they want, they just, they only did it to differentiate from Bioshock. Like, that was literally the only reason. We're Like, we did a weapon wheel in our last game, and we're going to do something different, because this is a different game.
2: Yeah, which ends up just falling into the more it's a dumb action game yep. thing. Which is not to say that this that a sequel to Bioshock could not or should not be an action game of some sort. And, like, that's all fine. Like, I, I think that that's one of the ways where it's not fair to compare it to Bioshock. It's like, oh, Bioshock was, like, slower and more of a horror game. Whereas this is, like... This big crazy like extra action extravaganza, but that's that's all fine. It can be that, right? It's just not a great action extravaganza. Yeah. I
1: will say the the limited weapon holding probably works better with some of the later game Elizabeth mechanics. Not to spoil yeah, anything. Yeah, no, that's true. So uh, probably f- more frustrating, but like more sensible given the some of the like design decisions that were made
2: yeah and I mean it, if i were to make a guess i would say it was probably also so that they could give you powerful things early in the game and you wouldn't mean that you just have that forever and can use that forever it would be you've got this like sniper rifle early on and you can only use that for a little bit yeah you get because, a taste of this fun thing but yeah, you will run out of ammo and you can only kind of use it for a bit and, eh, i have mixed feelings about that as well but yeah. yeah anyway so let's get to the spoiler break um yes because especially we can talk about other mechanical stuff after that as well because uh, there's some weird mechanical shit. <laughs> For our next topic, we are going to be... What do we call it? Was it Digital Romance? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not Digital Love.
2: Yeah, which I'm now regretting a little bit because uh, I was going back and listening to Daft Punk about a week ago. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. like I, Not that we can use the song. We were, that would be bad. But now it's all I can think about. But it's really screwing me up because that's I just keep thinking that that is the name. But anyway, so we're doing Digital <laughs> Romance. Um <laughs> We're going to be reading Crosstalk by Connie Willis. Um, we are going to be watching San...
1: San Junipero. Junipero. That one episode of Black Mirror.
2: Yes. Wow, I was not prepared for this one. I thought I was a lot closer, but uh, San Junipero in Black Mirror, and we are going to be playing Emily is Away. I knew that one. There you go. Um, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be our next topic. Next episode will be our topic for all of Syncopated Worlds. We'll be talking more about Bioshock then, as well as folding beijing and elysium uh but for now we're going to do a spoiler break from justin
0: in an alternate 1912 america booker dewitt travels by robo with a mysterious set of twins to a lighthouse off the coast of maine having agreed to their terms bring us the girl and wipe away the debt dewitt travels to the top of the lighthouse and finds himself inside a miniature rocket that takes him to the flying city of columbia Booker is able to travel through Columbia mostly unnoticed. It's not until the AD scar on his right hand is discovered that the full force of Columbia's police presence comes crashing down on him. Zachary Comstock, Columbia's leader and religious figurehead, prophesied that a man bearing this scar would come to Columbia as the false shepherd to steal and corrupt Comstock's daughter Elizabeth, threatening the city's future. Traversing the now dangerous city as a wanted man, Booker makes it to Monument Island, where Elizabeth is being held. After he convinces her to flee the tower with him, they are attacked by the Songbird, a giant, pseudo-robotic bird creature. In their escape attempt, Booker discovers Elizabeth's ability to open what are called tears, rips in the space-time continuum that separate their universe from other parallel universes. The Songbird destroys the tower while the two of them barely escape alive. After landing in Battleship Bay, the duo make their way to the aerodrome docking station for an airship they intend to steal. Booker convinces Elizabeth to come along by telling her they'll go to Paris, but once they get to the ship and she notices that Booker has pointed them to New York City, she knocks him out with a wrench. Booker wakes to find Elizabeth gone and the airship taken over by the Vox Populi, a resistance group made up of Columbia's working class, frequently looked down upon and mistreated by the rest of the city's population. Their leader, Daisy Fitzroy, agrees to hand the airship back over to Booker if he secures a weapon shipment from a gunsmith in the slums. Booker reunites with Elizabeth, who begrudgingly agrees to team back up and get these weapons so they can use the airship to escape Columbia. Through the events of procuring the weapons, Elizabeth opens large tears that her and Booker essentially travel through to end up in completely different, parallel worlds. Elizabeth grows increasingly disturbed by the effects her powers are having on the world as people who had died in one reality are reduced to muttering shells in another. After another jump to a parallel universe, weapons in hand, they find themselves in the midst of a full blown revolution. In this world, Booker died supporting the Vox Populi, and the Daisy here believes his sudden reappearance will only hurt their cause. As Fitzroy is about to murder the son of one of Columbia's founders, Elizabeth kills her. They flee to the airship, once more attempting to leave Columbia, but the songbird attacks and the airship crashes. Knowing now that they can't leave Columbia without stopping the songbird, the pair try to find a way to destroy it or control it. While pursuing this new goal, they also begin to uncover the truth behind Columbia's founding. The Lutest twins aren't siblings, but parallel universe versions of the same person. Rosalind is from Booger and Elizabeth's reality, while Robert is from another. Comstock kidnapped Elizabeth from his alternate self in Robert's reality, adopting her as his daughter and raising her to be his successor. Comstock coerced the Lutesses into creating a siphon that would subdue Elizabeth's powers while she remained in the tower. Once this was completed, Comstock planned to murder the Lutesses and his wife to cover up Elizabeth's origin and to make them martyrs for his cause against Vox Populi. In attempting to kill Luteces, however, Comstock inadvertently gifted them with the same powers as Elizabeth. As Booker and Elizabeth, having learned all this, approach Comstock House, Elizabeth is captured by the songbird and taken into the mansion. Booker attempts to follow, but is pulled into the future by an older Elizabeth. This Elizabeth is from a world where Booker disappeared at that moment, and after decades of torture and brainwashing courtesy of Comstock, has taken his place and leads an army against the rest of the world. She shows Booker that the Songbird would always stop his rescue attempts because they had no idea how to stop it. She tasks him with preventing this future by showing him what needs to be done to control the Songbird. Booker returns to the present and manages to rescue Elizabeth. Together, they chase Comstock to his airship. There, Elizabeth confronts him, but he antagonizes Booker and insists he tell Elizabeth the truth behind the part of her finger that's missing. When he starts to assault Elizabeth, Booker intervenes drowning Comstock before he can reveal anything further. Elizabeth insists that Booker knows more, but his memories of the correct reality have been overwritten. Booker decides to destroy the siphon to unlock Elizabeth's full power and uncover the truth, but before they can, the Vox Populi attack. Using the device to control the songbird, they lead the creature against the Vox before ordering it to destroy the siphon. The control device ends up destroyed as well, and the songbird turns on them. In an act of self-defense elizabeth opens a tear that transports all three of them to rapture the underwater city from the first bioshock game while elizabeth and booker are safe inside the songbird is trapped in the ocean outside it is there that the songbird is crushed by the immense pressure on the ocean floor elizabeth takes booker to the surface and to a lighthouse they travel through its door and into a sort of pocket dimension containing all the lighthouses and all the Booker's and Elizabeth's of various universes at this moment. Elizabeth explains that they are in one of an infinite number of realities. Elizabeth then shows him the truth. In 1893, Robert Lutes approached Booker on behalf of Comstock, stating, as we heard at the beginning of the game, "...bring us the girl, and wipe away the dead." We learn that this was referring to Booker's then-infant daughter, Anna DeWitt. Booker agrees, but then changes his mind. Too late, however, to stop Comstock from taking her. All that's left in his reality is a piece of Anna's finger, severed as the tear between realities closed. With one piece of Anna in both realities, her ability to open tears is born. Later, back in Comstock's reality, Robert enlists Rosalind's help to bring Booker to Columbia and try to rescue Elizabeth. After all of this is revealed, Elizabeth explains that no matter what actions Booker takes, Comstock cannot be stopped. Their only option is to prevent his creation. Elizabeth then takes Booker to the aftermath of Wounded Knee, where he was nearly baptized. While he avoided this baptism and went on to Father Anna in his reality, in the other reality he went through with it, found religion, and became Comstock. He was rendered sterile by the Lutessa's reality manipulating technology, but knew of his alternate self's path so he planned Anna's abduction to ensure he had a blood-related heir to take over Columbia. The only way to prevent Comstock's creation is to end Booker's line at the moment of the baptism, for every reality. Elizabeths from every universe converge on this point in time and assist in drowning Booker. The game ends as Booker dies, looking at the Elizabeth who brought him here. In a post-credits scene, a version of Booker awakens back in his apartment in 1893. Hearing a baby cry, he calls out Tana and opens the door to her room as the game once again cuts to black. And
1: we're, and back. we're back!
0: And that game is just too much. What game? Bioshock? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You the one I just did the summary for. Right, you guys yeah. all heard it. Yeah.
1: What a crazy time! Okay, I know we got a couple things that we want to jump into, like... You guys you guys go I have a I have a question that's been bothering me but like I don't want to derail the thing that you guys were talking about when we first called for spoiler break
2: okay so we'll we'll, we'll definitely make sure to get back to that yeah and because at some point uh, I would also like to get back to what uh, we were talking about a little bit briefly earlier uh, with Justin specifically the idea of kind of Bioshock as a beloved franchise and this game begging to be compared to the first one um, okay but so first off we were talking about the uh, the game's general depiction of wasteful capitalist society by the ever-present. Food in trash cans that our character is reduced to eating to survive, right? Like that's that's the big social idea that we were that we were getting
1: survival. At. Nothing. I was eating out of those trash cans just to have a good time. Yeah,
2: for for fun and profit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was going. Through Listen, trash lots
0: cans. of cake. Yeah,
1: I was eating out of the trash cans because I wanted bullets. And while I was there, I was like, "Well, I might as well eat this pineapple." <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> while I was there, I was like, "Well, it's easier to just just take it all." Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> I think. I think arguably worse than trash cake is finding food on dead bodies. I'm yeah, eating that like the hot dog that that cop just had on him.
1: Yeah, it's a 1912 mm-hmm. version of a freegan.
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but so so no, so I, I assume that we were that we were actually talking about the kind of vox populi versus just generic Columbia kind of plotline. Yeah, the the Daisy Fitzroy kind of rebellion.
1: Oh God. Yeah, the whole like the whole I I don't know I f- it felt really like kind of gross with the game making the whole like yeah you know at a certain point like these people become no better than their oppressors thing I I didn't feel good about that
2: Yeah I I feel like that for me that's the thing where I would go so far as to say I think that there is something worth discussing there
0: Yeah I, th- like th- agree that, with there's it or that, not You, you know Good No No I'm like that is a a thing that in itself is worth talking about. But when you contextualize that thing with everything else that they're doing in this game, it's just bad.
2: Well, I think that the other thing is it's it, it, the game also treats it as though that's something no one else has ever thought of before. It's this big revelatory moment that like, Oh, even, you know, up and coming like rebels with like the best intentions, like rebellions are messy. And like, Stuff can happen, and it's still going to be, like, fighting in the streets, and that's going to hurt, like, this other group of people. Bet you never thought of that before! It's like, no, like, you're you're not only not the first people to say this, you are not doing a great job of saying it, (laughs) and you're coming down very heavy-handedly about it, as opposed to having kind of a more nuanced discussion about, like, all right, well, like, let's look at this as it's happening and, like, not put ourselves into it too much, which is something that games have the potential to do.
1: I also wanna say, like, given the given that it's currently twenty seventeen and all of the like you know, all of the, the protests and movements like Black Lives Matter and Which all that sort of stuff, it's a super charged topic to be saying like
2: To be fair though, this game yeah. was released well before that and to be the fair. story would have been written well before that. Which yes, is, yes. Which is worth pointing out which is to say, totally fair reaction to the game. But hard to bring as a case against it.
1: Not not against it, but just I think that, you know, without even even without that being the topical thing of right now, it's it seems not great to me that the the game sort of comes down on the side of dismissing protest because it causes too much, like, problem for people. Which is kind of what Booker's opinion was, and the game sort of went, like, backed Booker on that point.
2: Yes, I would agree.
1: Which is a problematic statement, and more so given current events.
2: Yeah. That said, though, I, and I think that the weird, then, like, racial dynamic that comes in is one of the things where I really think that the game, on the whole, really kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, Not even just, like, did a poor job dealing with race, but... It seems like the thing they don't—I don't think that the game wants to say anything about race. Uh, I don't think that that's something that was like on its checklist by and large. I think, with the one big exception of uh, Colombia, as a society is super racist, and yeah. that creates this oppressed class.
1: But like you know how you know how like when somebody wants to depict an evil twin, they put a goatee on a person, right? Like, racism felt like the goatee on Columbia to shorthand that they're evil.
2: I think that that's a fantastic point, and I want to get more yeah. of that in, in just a second. Um, but, so like, but beyond that, it seems like the game doesn't really have a lot that it wants to say about race. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with not wanting to get into a conversation about race. Not everything has to be about everything. That said, I think in the same way that Bioshock Infinite didn't need to be a game about Bioshock, it made itself a game about Bioshock. And it seems like it didn't want to be a game about race, but then it made itself a game about race by using it as this, like, shorthand, as you were saying, in this form of racism. And I think as kind of a shortcut in just the form of just race relations from the turn of the century to create the um, kind of oppressed class who was going to rise up so they could make their broader statement which was, you know, that rebellions are messy and can be dangerous, and even well-intentioned things can become violent and hurtful. It, no, it doesn't baffle me, because I completely understand it, but it makes me sad that uh, this game went through so much using race the way that it does as as like as a shorthand and a shortcut, um, and no one said, bad idea, you know? Like if you want to get at
0: these topics Actually get at them?
2: Or, or like, just you're making a goddamn video game about like a city in the sky. Like you could you could use anything else that you want to differentiate between these classes. Race is probably not a great one because of just the real world context into which you are releasing your game. I I mean we've we've talked about Hunger Games on this podcast before, right? Hunger I mean Spoilers for Hunger Games at this point, I guess, but that's this is what Hunger Games is about, right? Is that even if you are a well-intentioned rebellion against an oppressive government, you will do bad things also. And there is a toll that that takes on people, and there are going to be casualties, and there are going to be people drawn into this who didn't want to be drawn into this and had no say in that, and that is inherently tragic. Hunger Games manages to do all of that without poorly handling race. And it just doesn't touch race in, in any meaningful way. And it's the kind of thing where it's... I It makes me sad that at no point along the line someone realized for this that... Right now in America, race is a topic that if you are going to handle it, you cannot do it by halves. You cannot do it by quarters if you are going to engage with it, you are going to need to engage with it at a certain baseline level of competency and care and thought. And that no one did that strikes me as very frustrating and disappointing and really hurts the entire game, I think. And I don't think that they do a great job of dealing with their bigger ideas either. But for me, it is impossible to go through this and just be like, how did you never realize the effect this was going to have on this thing that you clearly care about? I disagree with you on you know, a lot of the choices that you made, but I don't know. I, it is a very awkward decision in that sense. You know, to, to use, to boil it down to a shortcut and a shorthand is, I don't know, who am I to say that that's disrespectful, but it strikes me as at the very least, uh, ignorant. But okay, so. If no one else has anything to say about that, I say we switch gears into one of the many things we've put a pin in up until now.
1: I have one final thing I want to say about that. Go for it. And that is, how the fuck did 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 Zachary Comstock version of Booker DeWitt get so goddamn racist? Oh
2: my god, I have the exact, literally word for word, the same thing written in my notes. What happened there? This is a universe in which there exists another universe for every single other decision, and in none of those universes is Zachary Comstock anything but a villain right like that that need at the end for the various elizabeths to drown booker dewitt in the in the case where he becomes zachary comstock because zachary comstock is always terrible by definition even though there's a separate universe for like whether the coin flip that the lutesques do is heads or tails yeah like is baffling to me like it seems just inconsistent with the game's own
0: systems there's this huge can of worms that they're opening by by digging into this whole infinite universe thing. And that's because if anybody sits down and thinks about it for more than five seconds, infinite universes, like, you know, on in the branching theory, is just that, like, every single choice results – like, every single thing that could possibly happen is happening in some alternate universe, which just means there is no way. It is impossible within the universe they've set up for this game that – there are that Zachary Comstock is a terrible racist human being in every iteration. It's, it's literally impossible.
2: The one, the one thing that I, that I would say to that, which I know was like my, my own argument is that that seems highly unlikely is that Bioshock Infinite's version of the infinite worlds theory is fundamentally, fundamentally based on the idea of constants and variables, which is how it gets around certain things. So perhaps the argument is that Zachary Comstock is a bad person is a constant. And because Booker DeWitt is a bad person, arguably a bad is a hard, is a
0: relative. B- Booker DeWitt is a, is it an anti-hero? It Booker DeWitt's a
2: lot of things. Nothing, none of those things is particularly well fleshed out. No. Also Booker DeWitt is presumably 40 years old. It Booker DeWitt's age has so many goddamn problems. Um, in the because if you take the argument that he was pulled forward from the late 1800s into this reality where there, him in that reality is an old man, I'm on board with that. Like I get that because that that does happen. Except for the fact that goddamn slate is the same age as him and recognizes him and isn't like, wow, you haven't aged a day since when we fought together, like you know, 20 years ago, yeah, and, and a, that battle. years and years ago, which doesn't make any sense. And it's one of those things. That's what I that's what I was talking about earlier, where you go through. And you have these moments of like, oh, because I know the ending, I wonder what I'm going to realize this time. And what you realize is that the game is totally internally inconsistent to allow for that to be a twist ending. At the beginning of the game, Elizabeth doesn't know who Comstock is. And then she's like you find out that he's her father, and it's like that... Like she's, like mortified, moment. and... And then at the end of the game, she's like, I have all of these deep-seated resentments against my father, because he did... This. It was like, you didn't know he was your father until earlier today. <laughs> it makes no sense. Because by the end of the game, they just figure that you've forgotten that this was new information to her ten hours ago. But... So all of that, like, bullshit internal sh- just shit aside, because it totally fucks up just basic, like... Narrative regular ass progression even before it gets to the sci-fi bullshit. Yeah. I'm sorry, I get really angry about this part because this is this was the one thing that was interesting my first time I played the game. It was its one redeeming factor, and it turns out even that was fucking slipshot. But yeah, no, I the one the one scene where there's a big part of me that was like, okay, so how did how did Comstock get so racist? Is The only thing I could try and figure out is, is Booker racist? And just different life trajectories would allow that to grow or be more expressed? And all I could think of was, what if during the lottery you weren't allowed to pick who you threw the ball at, and he just starts to throw it, and it's unclear who he's going to throw it at, and then he gets stopped? What if there were things where you could go back and potentially say, oh, shit, I don't know that my character isn't that person or doesn't have the potential to be that person, but because you don't want to be playing as a racist because that would make him less relatable, you have all these other things. And all I can think about is, you know, that's another one that could have been kind of cool. Like, what if you go through and you find out, oh, this is me. Wait, all of this is me. Does that color your character in some new way? You know that you made some bad decisions, but there's been nothing up until now that suggested you are a certain way. You've behaved certain ways to certain people. Is it just that being born again puts him in a set of different situations where he has different life experiences? Maybe he meets fewer people who are minorities and his experience and encounters with people of other races are these like wars and battles that he fought in and he just ends up largely ingrained in this like, different kind of society as opposed to living with people who were more oppressed at the time and then potentially encountering more people who were African American or Asian or Irish at the time or any of those things it is that the argument like does does my character have this at the core of himself but they never get into any of that you they never engage with anything that makes the idea of Booker deWitt being Zachary Comstock interesting <sighs> yep i'm so mad about it.
0: Because I know that this team has better in them, right? Bioshock is really good. Bioshock is and that that's the thing, right? These are the people that made Bioshock. These are the people that did all of these things correctly the first time around. And then pulled all of the worst parts of Bioshock into this new
2: game and totally disposed of all of the good shit. I mean it like let's mm. Let's even just look at Columbia, right? We were talking about this at work the other day. I just think that Zachary Comstock is a bad Andrew Ryan and Columbia is a bad Rapture. And the thing that is at the core of both of those things is the fact that both of them were not based on the big ideas that the game wants to get into. They were based on Andrew Ryan and Rapture because people liked Andrew Ryan and people liked Rapture. Andrew Ryan is fundamentally compelling because he is Ayn Rand. His name is even a shitty, like, mix-up of Ayn Rand. It—when you fight the last boss at the end of Bioshock, he looks like the goddamn Atlas from the cover of Atlas Shrugged. Like, it—that game can be very heavy-handed and, like, at its worst is very heavy-handed, but at least points to these big ideas. The fundamentally interesting thing about Bioshock is it's—Ken Levine takes these ideas that are fundamental to a lot of, like, right-wing economic thought— takes them to what he sees as their logical end and shows you that they're not going to work. That's interesting. What is not interesting is him patting himself on the back for having made goddamn Bioshock and talking about what a great classic game it is, and there's always a man and there's always a lighthouse, except there was only one game where there was a man and one game where there was a lighthouse, because those things were not in Bioshock 2, so fuck that shit, and just pats himself on the back for having done that. It's so frustrating. Ugh. But, so, basic idea. Comstock is not as good as Ryan. Columbia is not as good as Rapture. You have this whole thing. You've got this quote unquote perfect society at the beginning and then you get to the lottery and it's, it assumes that you don't find the society of Columbia to be fundamentally frustrating or creepy when you get there, which is a weird assumption to make. But so you get there and then, oh, surprise, they're racist. And it's like, no, I figured that because I haven't seen any black people and because this whole thing is clearly based on the turn of the century South who were super goddamn racist. Like, no, like I can guess these things. These are not a twist. This is not a surprise. It's like, oh haha, it's people, it's an interracial couple, throw balls at them. It's like, no, I got that because this was clearly this exaggerated version of like this other thing that already exists. Uh. And then it throws all that away halfway through. And then but also it doubles down on it when you get to the crow place and you come in, it it starts raining outside, it's creepy, you go through the doors and what do you see? A giant statue to John Wilkes booth. God, could you be any more heavy-handed, bang you over the head? This is, like, the racist society. Like, we understand. Oh, my God. It's uh, terrible. Just let it out. And it's just like, I I get that you don't think that I get what you're saying. But what you're saying is not new. It's not interesting. It's not hard. It's not challenging. It,
1: uh. ugh. I'll say something else, something that I said to James when we were talking about this at work, which... You know, we do a lot. Uh, when I first got into the game, some of the like lighting in the early like super religious scenes made me think that some of the people uh like in the circle were were black. and I sort of had this assumption for the first part of the game because purely because of lighting that some of the people around were 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 black people. And that made my assumption of what was going on initially way different it was oh this is this like really exaggerated like turn of the century society but not racist yeah so imagine my surprise when the lottery scene came up and i was like oh wow this is so much less interesting now (laughs) like we know how like this we know how this terrible story goes like i was legitimately interested in this other thing that i thought was happening but i guess i was mistaken
0: because that's so easily what they could have done right like Columbia is portrayed as this, like, and I feel like more so in the marketing of the game than anything else, but it's portrayed as this, like, utopian kind of society. Like, they they in the same way that Rapture was meant to be, they broke off from regular society to form their own perfect world, blah, blah, blah. And so you're going into it expecting that kind of thing. And the idea is that in this perfect world, obviously, racism isn't going to exist because it's not like it existed in Rapture. And... They, so they they give you this impression, and you're supposed to go in, and then you're supposed to be shocked when it turns out that that's the thing, and they don't nail that at all. No, not and even close. And they could have just so easily made it that you know that racism literally, like racism, could not exist in Colombia, and and this game would not suffer for that like everything that they're actually trying to say because that's the thing they're not actually saying anything about race they're not saying at the, at the end of the day they're not saying they're anything saying anything, anything but, but yeah but that right there like th- this could have been some perfect harmonious world where the divides were created in other ways and everything that they try to do in this game is exactly the same I agree
2: completely the one argument would be that well, does that feel like correct for the time period or blah, blah blah I was like no, but exactly it doesn't
0: need to be. That right. can the be whole one point of the is that this that is transcending, you exactly. know, normal society. Liter- literally. Yeah. They literally transcend normal society.
1: Also, it feels like one of those things where it was like, well, you know, I think our audience will be able to suspend their disbelief for for like floating cities and interdimensional tears and stuff like that. But if we, took, if we took out racism from this society that's based on, like, turn of the century, like, the turn of the century, like, south, essentially, yeah. I think that they wouldn't believe that there was no racism. And that's where we have to draw the line. <laughs> that's honestly what it felt like to me.
2: Yeah, well, and I think the fact that if you pull out the racism, then you don't get to use it as a shortcut and a shorthand, I yeah. feel like, is, is kind of the other thing. It, you don't, you lose that. I'm just kind of sick of Ken Levine making games that are parodies of the American right. Like, frankly, I I don't disagree with some of the points that he's making, which is that the American right is largely founded on some stuff with which I disagree. And I don't think makes sense if you pull it out to its logical ends. I'm fine with that. But at this point, it just feels frustrating. This one at least does have that turn in the middle where it's like, no, everyone's wrong. And I guess that's something,
0: but... <laughs> But that's also just, like, that defeatist argument that everybody hates, you know? It's also the boring. Less Lesser of two evils, everybody's awful, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's when it becomes even less interesting than if you're just trying to focus on, the like, the shortcomings of the other side. Like, if, if we went to the alternate universe where Ken Levine was the guy who was saying all these things about the left, like, it would be more interesting, even though I might not agree with it as much. Yeah. Just because he's not pulling the everybody's awful bullshit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, Edgelord, like. Yeah jesus
0: yeah which is not to say that you can't enjoy
2: bioshock infinite right i which is one of the unfortunate things about i feel like the discourse around games there's a lot of reaction of like person a says that they didn't like this thing for this this and this reason person b thinks that that means that person a thinks that they are like a terrible human being and shouldn't have been born reacts aggressively because they liked the thing that person a doesn't like right like I, I think there's fun to be had in Bioshock Infinite. I think that if you if you are someone who can go through it and not be having these frustrations and like trying to engage with the story on this level, then you know that's fine. Like good for you, right? Like I want people to like things. I think that there's a decent like sci-fi time bendy story here. I don't think it makes sense when you go back and play it again. So I think it ends up being poorly written. But I think they do a really good job of like pulling you through it that first time you play it. That's really cool. I would have loved if they had doubled down on that. If they had cut some of the bigger ideas that they were trying to talk about, as much as I like shit with big ideas, I like shit that, like, is coherent more. <laughs> um, like, I'd rather they, like, had just succeeded at something than failed at everything. But, so, like, there's fun to be had there. I don't disagree, you know? But, yeah, it there are—I I think, though, it changes very much when you try and defend some of the stuff that I think we're, we're digging into. The, the
0: idea dirty. that you can't critique something that you love seems, one, very inherent in the, like— community of gamers and also is just an awful thing yeah like...
1: it's a bad life philosophy
2: yeah and i i will even say as someone who doesn't love this thing and will critique it very heavily there are things that i love that i will critique the shit out of this yeah. one i want to love that's almost where most of my criticism comes from i want it to be so much better than it is and it comes so close sometimes but yeah speaking of things though that are worth criticizing about BioShock Infinite. Um, because I have a list um, What did everyone think about Elizabeth? I know that we're getting like a little bit long so we should try and kind of hit some of the points briefly but I I ended up being like all over the board on her. She's I feel like for a lot of the game she's not really a character. then she gets like some agency for a little while but then that agency is kind of taken away from by the fact that Booker then is sort of just like that's a good idea. I'm glad I had it and she's just like Eh, fuck it and i don't know like it she feels like a mechanic or a plot device yeah I like, was. She, she's
0: a prop she's not a character and it's kind of shitty it's really too bad because i feel like it comes close or at least it wants
2: to come close to to making her feel like fully realized i mean it doesn't help that her character arc is bizarre in for the reasons that we discussed earlier specifically who is this comstock guy wow he seems not great oh no he's my father I've had these lifelong resentment towards this man. I'd only found out about three hours ago. Is like okay, well,
0: that's there's a lot going on there, but because well, I feel like there's the implication that he is her captor and she always knew that. Yeah, but you yeah, based on the beginning of the game, it's like she she's like stir crazy and has a little bit of cabin fever from having been in this tower all this time, but she doesn't like feel like she's been forced in there in a particular way, right? And she doesn't know Comstock. Yeah, she's definitely He's like, like and oh, it's like it's just the songbird. Who is this Comstock fellow? Yeah. So, uh ugh.
1: Also weird how quickly she started calling him father.
0: Yeah. That was Yeah, literally immediate like
1: <laughs> Yeah, that that was like a She, God, we keep coming back to this. She was raised in isolation without the idea of a nuclear family. Why the fuck does she find saying the word father even remotely normal? I guess she read books, but, like, God, it was so weird. It was so weird. I hate she
0: read books was the reason for everything, everything. so. (laughs) Everything.
1: I think Elizabeth may have been her most interesting when you went down and you got these weird flashes of her, like, stabbing you with needles. And, like, begging you to wake up again? where does she get those needles? Um, what are they full of? Why does she care about you so much? Could I have You're clearly that an happened. asshole.
0: Yeah. yeah, there are phases of the game where she clearly hates you. And when you guys finally come back together, she's like, okay, I will begrudgingly work with you. And then your relationship goes back to her just, like, basically adoring Booker. I don't know.
2: And they come close in a few moments. Like, I feel like they, there's a couple nice touches there. But, I mean, they're, it it's... It's touches, not, like, the fundamental problem, but it's cool that they thought about this. But, like, she'll – her idle animations will be different. You know, her basic, like, facial animations will be different based on where your relationship is at with her at that time. I feel like those are all of those nice touches. But, yeah, it doesn't – it's not quite enough to change the fact that mechanically she needs to behave a certain way. And that's the problem.
1: I'm going to um, ask again. How old is Booker supposed to be? <laughs>
2: 105. Okay. I, don't, I Real talk, though, um, Booker, I think, is probably in his 40s. Yeah. Uh, in, Early 40s feels right. Yeah. And then, but that's because he was pulled something like 20 to 30 years forward in time to be the protagonist of Bioshock Infinite. So in the time in which Bioshock Infinite is set, he would, I think, be correctly the age of Zachary Comstock. Um,
1: okay. I wish Booker looked and sounded older Yeah, in the game. I think...
2: Well, you never th- really get to see him.
1: You see him in the cover art, That's and true. you see him, like, every once in a while, I think you get a look at him.
2: I, you definitely see him, like, walking through the lighthouses at one point. Yeah. He's kind of far away.
1: Yeah, but he definitely looks like, I don't know, like he's, like, Troy 29 Baker. to 33.
2: Like he's Troy Baker?
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't
2: know. Yeah, I know, I agree. I, yeah.
1: The thing I wanted to say about Troy Baker was he doesn't fucking sound old enough. Yeah. And he sounds like, you know, the hot young male lead. And it's like, that's not what we needed here.
0: Yeah. I know. I think you're right. And we know that he's capable of sounding old enough. You know, not four years later, he's Joel. Yeah. Yeah.
2: it it That's definitely, I think, one of the weird inconsistencies. Because even if he is supposed to be in his, like... Early, like those kind of like mid twenties to early thirties. So, like even like let's let's take that right because his because uh, Anna is supposed to be like still very young. I think at the time from which he was
0: pulled. Yeah, she's an she's like she's an infant. She's practically a newborn. I think.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I don't remember if he was pulled how close to when um they took Anna um that. Booker was pulled into the beginning of Bioshock Infinite, um, just because you know, they just keep throwing you into the office. Um, so I don't know exactly how close to it it would necessarily be. So she, But she might have been you know, a couple years old at most, I feel like. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely odd. I don't know what the... There's really no... There's just no way that you get... The ages don't make sense. Yeah. The ages, there's just no two way around it. Um, yeah, the ages don't make sense. Oh, which reminds me. Uh all right so my favorite part of the game is the Hall of Heroes. Uh specifically because I think that Cornelius Slate is the only interesting protagonist uh, antagonist in this game. I uh, think he's the only person with anything to say and it is immediately forgotten and lar- it is largely um stripped of any meaning that it had by the game's later twists.
0: And yeah, is also literally overwritten. Yeah. When you enter the Booker is a Martyr Reality, because Slate and Booker died together, yeah. martyring themselves for the cause of fox Popular. Right. Well, but oh, that's not even the
2: part that I care about. I care about. I mean, I don't care that there's another reality in which that doesn't happen. I care sure. about the game as a game that has a sequence of vignettes to it, and specifically, the thing that I'm interested in is this idea of. So, you've got this old soldier, and that he's a soldier is irrelevant in in this particular case. But you've got this person whose life's work is about to be—is being overwritten and taken credit for by someone who he perceives, at least, as not being involved, right? Comstock wasn't there. Comstock's portraying himself as the hero of these things. He's totally ignoring, like, the horrors of war, and there's nothing that Slate can do about it, because even though Comstock is an older man, Slate, who should be Comstock's age—which doesn't make a lot of sense— um, is, and recognizes Booker, and that's a whole separate weirdness, but is about to die, right? And the way that the world has shook out is this more powerful person is about to completely write Slate out of history and write Slate's experience out of history, and there's nothing he can do about that. That, to me, is the most interesting, compelling idea that the game deals with in any meaningful way. And it has kind of an interesting solution to that and that's that's like kind of goes crazy now that doesn't make any sense in the context of the game because apparently this guy and his like band of you know merry martyrs is taken over this disneyland style attraction and everyone else is just kind of going about their lives sort of not giving a shit about that so that's a bit weird but the idea though that he wants this hero's death that one's a little bit harder to buy for me. That doesn't make a ton of sense. But it feels like it would have fit in the original BioShock. Um, You know, he feels like the closest thing we get to uh, Sander Cohen. Which is doubly weird because it feels like they're trying to set up Fink as, like, a Sander Cohen. The whole, like, Finkton area feels yep. like it's meant to be uh, an analog to Fort Frolic. Um, and then just is not at all and is, in fact, one of the worst parts of the game, I would argue. Um, but it's... That whole thing is so interesting to me. But then... When you go back and you find out that Comstock was there and Comstock isn't necessarily rewriting history because he was there, it just totally makes Slate just like a crazy old man. I which I felt was so frustrating because that just seemed like the one interesting thing that it brings up. The sense of like, oh wow, like what does happen in this situation? Like when when the politicians go and take credit for the wars, you know? Right. And you ascribe it to these people, you ascribe these victories and losses to these people who are higher up and weren't there and didn't see things and are just changing our perception of history because they are the ones who get to keep telling the story. Yeah. Uh, especially in a game about many worlds, right? Where you've got this one world overwriting another one literally in the moment but without any sci-fi
0: bullshit. It it's a cool idea that the game then just throws away. It's and it's even one of those things that they could like the fact that they wanted like Booker is Comstock to be such a big twist that they refused to do the normal thing of dropping very slight hints that for the most part will make you question things but yeah. wouldn't point you to so radical a twist as that. Yeah. This is one of those great opportunities to do that, where like you know Slate in his dying moments has this realization, yeah, right. He connects Comstock and Booker, but he can't get the thought out because he's literally dying. Yeah, and like that kind of thing. They they could have. Like, they could have turned, they could have had everything exactly the same, and with a few rewritten lines of dialogue, completely turned it into something compelling, and instead, here we are. Yeah. I don't know.
2: So I just wanted to bring that up. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I just, I, I feel like that's a, a segment in the game that kind of, it feels like it ends up sort of boiling down to, I needed to get shock jockey. Uh, yeah. God, they build up that, and it's just, it's one of the worst vigors, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but again, they build it up because it's the Bioshock thing, right? It's Electrobolt. Ha, ah, you got Electrobolt. Bolt. They're yeah. like, remember Bioshock. Remember Bioshock. <laughs> please please clap. Please, please don't forget Bioshock. But I don't know. Also, it so like the return to Rapture moment. I remember thinking it was really cool when I first played it. This time it felt bad. Yeah. I, I feel like they should have not done that and let me make the connections that there are constants and variables between these two games. And let me hit the point of being like, oh, i that's interesting. The Bioshock Infinite Universe can contain Bioshock. Oh, that, what a clever idea. Like, what a, what a neat thing to have baked into your game. As opposed to being like, hey, hey, hey,
0: guess what? Bioshock. Yeah, that's it, the kind of thing where, like, a burial at sea takes place in Rapture, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah. So, like, to me, it would have been more interesting for them to just have done that right for none of the rapture stuff to have been in infinite and then for burial at sea to take place in bioshock and then that after the fact is them saying hey if you didn't happen to pick up on this in infinite we're going to tell this side story that connects these two things because they are actually connected
2: i mean the thing for me is i don't care that they are actually connected i don't even care about like picking up on it or not picking up on it i don't think that bioshock being that rapture being in the infinite universe like means anything i just think that it's kind of a sort of like a a neat thing to like to them be thinking about the fact that there are these connections between this game and their franchise and like oh what a weird thing a franchise is you know but instead they're like no we made bioshock how great are we i was like stop doing that i don't i i just feel like that never feels good yeah because what does it bring to the table right just Bioshock? They already brought that to the table. In all the moments where they just like redo a moment from Bioshock. <laughs> Does anyone have, have anything else to say before I start something else that I'm pissed off about?
1: Nah, I feel like that's enough.
2: I feel bad because this isn't the way I like to talk about games. Sometimes it's just the way you gotta talk about games. I don't know. It's not the way I like to talk about anything, is the big thing. I don't know. I feel like the rant is over. People think of that as, like, a genuine art form or, like, a way of getting an idea. That's not. It's a bullshit. It's a terrible way of getting an idea across. And I feel like I spent a chunk of this episode where I was just like, here's everything that bothers me about this. I don't know.
1: I mean, that's it happened in Elysium, in the Elysium episode as well, where we were just, where, you know, I was like, man, we should stop. I feel mean now.
0: I know. But that was different. Like, we were picking apart Elysium, like, basically surgically. Like, we were, like but this was, like, and this is the thing. I feel like the fact that you don't like rants and that you think that they are not valid but this game made you feel that way and like made that the primary way you were kind of able to react against it and discuss it is itself valid about how this game makes you and people feel
2: yeah i guess i don't know still not happy about it right (laughs) i mean that that all might be like i i think it's a a good point doesn't change that i'm not proud of that
1: (laughs) i guess it's time to wrap up
2: yeah on that note all right, so uh, that was that was Bioshock Infinite. Next up is going to be our topic episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about this some more, uh, hopefully in a more constructive or productive way.
0: I, I, don't know. I mean, trying to talk about it through the the lens of syncopated worlds in comparison to the things, I think it'll be a little easier too. I agree. I think that'll
2: be a I think that'll be a good conversation. I hope it ends up being a good conversation. I don't want to like build that up and then let everyone down. <laughs> but uh anyway yeah so that was this episode uh come back next time for the topic and then after that we are going to be doing digital romance just legally distinct from digital love thank you Daphne. yeah right thanks so much for listening
0: thanks for listening to this episode of read watch play if you want to help us out the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show you can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rwppodcast, check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com, and look out for our game streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Play.